0: So what does Jesus look like? What does Jesus look like? Is there, you know, a a portrait that he sat for, some professional painting hanging somewhere in a, a museum in Jerusalem? Can I find an old black and white photograph of Jesus if I search on Google Images? I mean, is there one out there somewhere? Albert Einstein once said this, A photograph never grows old. You and I change. People change all through the months and years, but a photograph always remains the same. And then he goes on. How nice to look at a photograph of mother or father taken many years ago. You see them as you remember them. But as people live on, they change completely. That is why I think a photograph can be kind. It's great. A photograph can be kind. Now, granted, there are some high school annual pictures that are unkind, all right? There's some pictures in life that are taken of us that are that are not very kind, and we we have to work through those. But for the most part, Einstein's right. A picture is pretty kind. So is there a photograph of Jesus? Is there a, a kind picture that helps us to see that Jesus is good? Is there a kind picture that helps us to see that there is more to Christmas than just presents and fruitcake cookies and gingerbread eggnog? Is there a kind picture that helps us to see that there is more to this life than just living and dying? Is there such a picture? Let's find out. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, and his name will be called Eternal Father. 700 years before the manger, Isaiah was writing down some names that could describe the amazing and fantastic and complex nature of Jesus, the baby Jesus. And one of those names that he wrote down is Eternal Father. Jesus is the Eternal Everlasting Father. Both of my grandfathers died before I was born. My dad's father was a game warden. My mom's father was part owner and manager of the general store in town. The only image I have of my grandfathers is from some old pictures and some 8 millimeter Christmas movies that were made. That's it. That's that's the only image I have of them. Those pictures are, for me, kind of like frozen in time because I don't have any personal experience to compare those pictures to. But those photographs of my grandfathers, they're, they're just pictures. Those pictures do not tell me who they were. So is there a photograph of Jesus somewhere? No, there's not. But even if there was a photograph of Jesus, that photograph would not tell us who he really is. The old saying is what? A a picture will tell what? A thousand words. But that picture might tell a thousand words that you don't want to know. Or it may not tell you the thousand words that you need to know. So what picture do you have of your father in your mind right now? What picture is out there in your mind? Maybe you never knew your father. Maybe your father was or is a deadbeat dad. Maybe you had or you have a strained relationship with your father. Or maybe you had or you have a great relationship with your father. Regardless of what that relationship is with your father, none of us can look at a picture of your dad and know everything about him. So if there's not a photograph of Jesus, then how do we know what Jesus looks like? Well, the Bible is the most incredible photo album in the world. It's just that the photos are word pictures instead of just pictures. And the pictures in the Bible that are the most amazing are the ones of Jesus. Now, these pictures don't tell us everything about Jesus, And why is that? Well, they can't. Jesus is too awesome. He's too wonderful. He's too amazing to be contained in just some pictures. The universe cannot contain enough pictures to tell us who Jesus is. But the pictures that we have in the Bible of Jesus, they are accurate. They are perfect. So what does Jesus look like? Well, here's one picture. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus has no true beginning of days and no true ending of days. Yes, Jesus lived on this earth as a a baby and a child and a young man for 33 years. But he also existed for all time. Now that's kind of beyond our human concepts, right? I mean, this notion that, that the baby Jesus could exist for all time when we're celebrating that he was actually born into this world. In fact, some people would say that the notion that Jesus existed for all time is irrational and unreasonable. But here's the thing. The evidence for the Jesus of the Bible is so defining that you almost have to be irrational and unreasonable to reject it. In other words, you have to kind of throw reason out the window if you're going to reject Jesus. But you also can't just reason yourself into heaven. Why? Well, according to the Scriptures, the power of Jesus is beyond reason. (laughs) The power of Jesus, it's beyond amazing. The majesty of Jesus, it is beyond overwhelming. The awesomeness of Jesus is to infinity and beyond. So reason alone will not cause us to follow after the shepherds and the wise men and worship Jesus. No, in order to see Jesus for who he really is, we need saving faith. We need saving faith saving hope saving love and as eternal father the the love that comes through jesus is not just holiday mistletoe love the love of jesus according to everything in the scriptures that love lasts forever it is forever love so what does that forever love have to do with you Well, Apostle Paul was writing a letter to the church at Rome, and he had this interesting little phrase in the greeting of his letter. It goes like this, Romans chapter 1, verse 7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Just sounds like a little phrase in the Bible, what what makes it such a big deal? I love how John Piper describes this. Here is the mammoth Roman Empire, and Paul tells this little band of believers in the huge city of Rome that God has loved them and called them and made them. He goes on. They are the called of Christ, the beloved of God. In other words, in all this mammoth empire and world, God is dealing with them In a special way that's what Isaiah is pointing out by writing eternal father he's saying that Jesus as eternal father he deals with his children he deals with those who follow after him in a special way the love of Jesus it is unique it is eternal and it is everlasting unique eternal everlasting no earthly father can have that description said about them. That introduction is only for Jesus. He alone is the eternal Father in that nature. See, I grew up to be a father, but I was not born a father. But Isaiah's writing that that Jesus, when he was born, he already had the the father-like nature and character of an eternal father. Even before the foundations of the world, by his very nature, he had these perfect qualities of an eternal Father. Now, don't get confused in the language. Isaiah is not saying that Jesus is God the Father. The persons of the Trinity are distinct in their nature. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What Isaiah is doing in describing Jesus as eternal Father is he's looking through the manger. He's looking through the manger to the cross and to the empty tomb. You see, Jesus, in absorbing the penalty of my sin and your sin on the cross, Jesus, in rising from the grave, Jesus gave birth, so to speak, to eternal life. So Jesus is the father of eternal life. Jesus was talking to a woman one day at a well. This woman had had a really hard life. She had been in and out of a lot of failed relationships. And Jesus looked across the well at her that day, and this is what he tenderly said to her. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. That's a big statement, right? Never thirst. And then he goes on. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Water inside springing up for all eternity. So how did the woman respond? This is what the woman said, John 4, verse 15. Sir, give me this water. Love that response. Sir, I'm, I am so Thirsty. I am so beat down. I am so worn out. I am so discouraged. I have been looking for love in all the wrong places, and I am not happy, and I am not satisfied. Please, sir, give me that water. Please, sir, give me that life. And that life that Jesus spoke of, he gave birth to that eternal life. Jesus... And only Jesus is the author and perfecter and finisher and giver of eternal everlasting life. Chuck Swindoll tells a story about a girl named Monica. She was an eight-year-old girl in Kenyon. One day Monica was out walking around and she fell into a pit. When she fell into the pit, she broke her leg and she couldn't move. There was an older woman who just happened to be coming by right after she fell into the pit. Her name was Mama Najeri. And Mama Najeri was able to to get Monica out of the pit, but in the process of getting her out of the pit, a a black mamba snake came and and bit Mama Najeri and then bit Monica. Mama Najeri was still able to get Monica to the hospital where she was admitted, and and Mama Najeri was able to go home. But she never woke up from her sleep. The next day at the hospital, the missionary nurse was trying to explain to Monica what happened to Mama Nigeria. And she told her, you see, the, the snake, when it bit Mama Nijeri, all of the poison went out in the first bite. And so when the snake bit you, there wasn't enough poison to harm you. And then the missionary nurse, she turned to Monica and she told the story of Jesus taking away the poison of our sin. And how Jesus had made a way for her to be saved and rescued and have eternal life. And Swindoll Swindoll goes on to say that, that on that day God quickened Monica's heart and she repented and surrendered to Christ. You see, this everlasting eternal Father in Jesus, this everlasting life that he gives, it is perfect, it is complete, and it is satisfying. In fact, we find it nowhere else. Jesus is the only Father of eternal life. By his very nature, through the power of the cross, through his resurrection, Jesus had perfect father-like qualities. That baby that the shepherd saw in the manger, that child that the wise men came from far away to see, that baby was and is and will forever be loving and comforting, and caring, and faithful, and wise. He will forever be protecting and providing. And that matters for my life and your life today. It matters in real life that those father-like qualities are what Jesus always has. And why does it matter? Well, it matters because there are some people who really struggle with receiving love from their earthly fathers. In fact, some people would say that they receive more condemnation than love and acceptance from their earthly fathers. This is what Paul wrote to the church at Rome, Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. None. No condemnation black hole of of guilt or sin weighing over your soul no cloud of guilt and shame no condemnation hanging over your soul see jesus doesn't say i can't believe you did that you did it wrong again jesus doesn't say you're you're not good at that and, and you're not going to mount to anything you are worthless Jesus does not talk like that Jesus doesn't speak like that and I know this may be hard for us to to realize maybe in this moment because we're alive and and it's just hard for us to get things but if you've ever received any condemnation from your father on earth then please understand this that condemnation cannot last forever it can't why Because he may be your earthly father, but he cannot be your eternal father. According to everything that we read in the scriptures, if you've repented of your sin, if you have cast your soul upon Jesus as your ultimate hope of salvation, then please know that this is true. Jesus does not condemn you. And he never will. Because you are in him, there is no condemnation. None. None. In fact, Jesus loves you and he will welcome you one day into his kingdom where you will be happy and satisfied forever. That's, that's the opposite of condemnation. But does that mean that Jesus doesn't care about your sin? But hey, you got your one-way ticket to heaven, you're all good, now you can do whatever you want. No, that's not what it means. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. In other words, Jesus loves you, and Jesus is for you, and Jesus will oppose you when you sin. Think of it in, in real life. Imagine that, you know, one Christmas, you know, one of my boys you know, gets mad because they didn't get the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip that they wanted for Christmas, all right? And next thing you know, they're running across the room, and they go in the kitchen, and they open up the cabinet, and they start taking the Christmas china out and hurling it across the room until it hits the wall and breaks into pieces. Now, am I going to say, hey, buddy, just uh, clean that stuff up when you're done, okay? You know, just, just make sure you clean up your mess. No, I'm not. Or imagine that, you know, my daughter, one of my daughters gets you know mad at mom and saying, Mom, I asked you for the blush lipstick, and you got me the bashful lipstick. It's the wrong color. And they start having drama queen meltdown in the middle of Christmas morning. And they're really mean to their mom. Am I going to say, hey, honey, when you get through with your rant, just be sure you apologize, and everything will be fine. No, no I won't. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to immediately oppose their sin. And why would I do that? Why would I do that? Because I love them and because I'm for them. I'm gonna oppose their sin and hopefully I'm gonna point their hearts to Jesus. Hopefully I won't just oppose their sin, but I'll point their hearts to Jesus. And why in the world would I point their hearts to Jesus? Well, because I want what's best for my kids. And what's best for my kids is not me. And what's best for my kids is not their mom. And what's best for my kids is not their friends or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a wife or a husband. What's best for my kids is not money or school or sports. It's not Christmas presents. It's not Christmas cakes or Christmas cookies. Those things are all great, but none of those people and none of those places and none of those things are what's completely and totally and eternally best for my kids. What's best for them is Jesus. Jesus is what's best for them. Jesus is what's best for me. Jesus is what's best for you. He's best. You see, as their father, I'm temporary, but Jesus, he's eternal. As their father, I have some measure of human strength, but the strength that Jesus has is supernatural, and it has eternal, everlasting measures. It knows no end. I fail a lot as a father. Jesus never fails. See, he's best for all of us. He is the eternal, everlasting Father, and He's the best. There is no comparison. Again, John Piper says this, the goal of a good father is to rear children who are not discouraged. What's the opposite of being discouraged? Piper goes on. The opposite of being discouraged is being hopeful. The opposite of being discouraged is is being happy. The opposite of being discouraged is being confident. The opposite of being discouraged is being courageous. It's good words, right? Hopeful, happy, confident, courageous. I mean, even someone who's not a Christian would say, yep, that's a great list to give to your kids. But see, here's what we're saying. We're saying that list is strategically connected to Jesus and only to Jesus. So what does that mean? What does that list have to do with? With Jesus Well it's all about direction Who are you directing Attention To See we should be directing Our kids To be hopeful in Jesus We should be directing our kids to be happy In Jesus We should be directing our kids To be courageous in Jesus To be confident in Jesus because he's best. But is that what we do? Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, aunts, uncles, teachers, coaches, whatever role you may have, any influence that you have over young people, are we directing them toward Jesus? Or are we just directing them to get good grades? Are we just directing them to be good in sports and good in school and good in music, to be good at getting a job? Or are we directing them to Jesus? Or when it comes to pointing people to Jesus, we're like, oh, that's what the pastor does. That's that's what the youth pastor does. That's that's why we hire these people down at church. They're the ones that are supposed to take care of everybody's salvation. Or maybe you're a husband that says, oh, that's my wife's job. Or a wife that says, oh, that's my husband's job. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't pass the buck like that? Aren't you glad that, that Jesus owned his responsibility? that he took the cross and all of its shame for me and for you. And you know why he did that? Jesus did that because he is the eternal, everlasting Father. See, the power of Jesus, it's forever. The majesty of Jesus, it's forever. The care of Jesus, it's forever. The comfort of Jesus, it's forever. The kingdom, the authority, it's forever the joy, the peace, the hope, the love of Jesus forever, forever. See, Jesus is always the man of his house. Jesus is always the king of his kingdom, and that will never change. Any of you parents ever lost your kid in a store when you are shopping? You know, you're, you're standing there, and, and one minute they're there, and And then you look to, you know, see how much the Blu-ray version of Ernest Saves Christmas is, and you're looking at it, and man, then you, you know, you turn back, and and man, they're gone. That never happens to Jesus, ever. John chapter 6, all that the Father gives me, this is Jesus, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Jesus never loses his own. He never loses his own. He is always loving. He is always serving. He is always saving. He is always protecting. He is always providing because only Jesus is eternal and everlasting. That's, that's who he is. It's his nature. It's his character. It it can't be changed. That was true before the manger. That was true in the manger. That was true on the cross. That was true in the empty tomb. That's who Jesus is. And so here's the real question for me and for you this Christmas Eve. Who is your true father? Not your earthly father who is your eternal father? Now, just to make us really uncomfortable for a moment, remember there was a day that Jesus said to some highly religious church-going people, you are of your father, the devil. So there are a couple options here. So who is your eternal father? You know, this time of year, maybe on the radio or in the newspaper or on TV, you might hear somebody say something like this, well, you know, Father Time is, is handing the reins over to Baby New Year, and you know, everything's switching over. That never happens with Jesus. Jesus never hands the reins over. Jesus is always completely and totally in charge. He's always completely and totally in control. Jesus is always full of truth. He's full of justice. He's full of compassion. He's full of mercy. And he's full of love. That is who he is. So, come all ye faithful. Come to Jesus. And oh, come all ye unfaithful quit rejecting the good news of great joy that will be for all the people especially and including you come to Jesus oh come let us adore him because he is not just Christ the Lord he is the eternal everlasting father